I want to show you where my mistake in trying to offer you different ways of understanding came about. It's right here at the beginning, chapter 11 of Revelation. It says, I was given a reed like a measuring rod and was told, go and measure the temple of God and the altar with its worshipers, but exclude the outer court. Do not measure it because it's been given to the Gentiles. They will trample on the holy city for 42 months. My issue here that I was a little bit confusing with last week, I cleaned it up in the second service, and those are the ones we put out online with the video, so you'll see it in a more clean fashion, but I want to honor the first service here, is that when I began to teach you about the temple, I did not have time to adequately explain that there are three temples mentioned in the Bible. There is, and and if you include the tabernacle, that's four. There's the tabernacle, then the temple of Solomon, then the second temple, which became known as the temple of Herod, then Solomon's temple, okay? And so I just want you to understand that as I was preaching to you last week that I believe it's Solomon's temple. That's it. You don't have to receive it as that, but I believe that the Jews are going to rebuild Solomon's temple. That's just clearing that up. The second thing is that it says they will trample on the holy city for 42 months. So there's going to be a problem. There's going to be a trampling on the temple. So that presupposes the temple had to be built. The temple's not built now. So what do you need? You need the first 42 months, the first three and a half years of the tribulation, a time of peace to build the temple. But now here is the problem. It says, and I will appoint my two witnesses and they will prophesy for 1260 days clothed in sackcloth, which is the same as 42 months, three and a half years. Here's the problem. Do we put the two witnesses with the trampling of the temple at the end of the three and a half years, or do we put them at the peace? Because you see here in verse 2, it says that they will trample the holy city with the temple for 42 months, and I will send my witnesses. Well, it almost makes it sound like the witnesses are at the end. But here it says, as the witnesses die, and they're resurrected and brought forth to heaven at the end, there's a great earthquake, and those who see it, the survivors, were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. How in the world are we seeing glory to God, you know, after seeing the two witnesses die, happening at the end of the tribulation? That's the confusion. And that's why when I even went back to the commentators, they're arguing with themselves, saying this is the hardest chapter to understand. So where I want to clarify for you is for now. Somebody say for now. I put the two witnesses at the beginning. So what he's saying here in chapter 11 is they're going to have a temple. That's already assumed. They're going to trample on it for 42 months, and that's looking to the end of the tribulation. And I will appoint my witnesses to be at the beginning of the tribulation, the 1260 days. That's my clarification. Can I get an amen if you understand it? If you don't and you're a little confused, just go back and listen to the first service and then the clarification from the second, uh, from this uh, today, and it all makes sense. Or just go right back to the uh, last week's second service. Now, let's go to the timeline to catch everybody up because we know we always have new folks. This is what we're talking about here today. We keep adding chart upon chart upon chart. Okay, so here's what we're talking about. We're going through the book of Revelation, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. We started with knowing who Christ is. We started with hearing about the churches, and we believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. So we have explained why we believe the church is no longer here during this time. Only the 144,000, 12,000 Jews from each of the 12 tribes, with the people getting saved in the tribulation, salvation 
salvation is possible, but they will be a minority and killed quickly. But we have talked about why we believe in the pre-tribulation rapture. We've then gone through the seven seals. We've then gone through the seven trumpets. And now we're here through the signs. And some people say there's about seven major signs that are happening here. And then we'll prepare after they hear the signs today, three chapters of the Bible, about 60, cha- uh, 60 verses will be read today. We'll be preparing ourselves for the bowls of wrath. And then we hear a little bit about Babylon and its destruction, the second coming of Christ, battle of Armageddon, then the millennial reign of Christ where we reign with him, then the devil is loose for a short time, Gog and Magog, battle happens, then the great white throne judgment, then a new heaven, new earth, new Jerusalem. Can I hear an amen? Okay, so where we are in this chart right now is between the trumpets and the bowls. We've already heard about the trumpets. We're about ready to hear about the bowls of wrath, which is the last sevenfold judgment, seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls. We've explained that sometimes people like to see the bowls, excuse me, the seals, the trumpets, and the bowls somehow corresponding to each other, like it says here that maybe during the fourth seal, the first trumpet starts sounding, and around the second trumpet, the bowls start coming, and then there's another way to understand that, but we are taking it as they are going one upon another, more linear, that after the seven seals, then come the seven trumpets, then come the bowls. These these notes are all online for you to check out, and that's why we are here explaining it in a timeline. Somebody say timeline. Now, I just want to just let you understand why it's complicated for me as a pastor to do this in a linear timeline, in a timeline that goes from here to here. Why is this hard? Because when you get to this middle section, the section of the signs, you begin to see that signs go back into this part of the book of Revelation. And some signs go back all the way to the time of Jesus. We're about ready to learn about a woman that has the sun and the moon and 12 stars around here. Are you guys tracking with me? That's going to be representative of Israel and Mary giving birth to the Messiah. That's going to go all the way back to Jesus' time. But it's being mentioned here in the book of Revelation. So what we have to do to keep a linear approach, a linear approach, is to see it goes linear, 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 pause, a whole description of the entire world and what's going on in times past, present, and future, then back to a linear approach, and then to the end. Does everybody get what we have? have to do there. It's not just me, Joe, your interpreter up here on Sunday having to do that. Any person who interprets the book of Revelation has to do that. Because when you get to these signs, like I said, when we learn about the birth of Christ, it is impossible to now put the birth of Christ in the future. How many know that's impossible? So if we're looking to the future of the book of Revelation, it's impossible now to say Jesus happens in the future. Jesus has already happened. I may believe that. Okay, amen. So I want you to know that's where the difficulty comes in. And I had a choice as your preacher, as the teacher here on Sundays going through Revelation, not to even bring up a timeline. Like, let's forget about all the charts. All I would have to do in one sense, and God could have led me to do this, but he didn't, in one sense was to simply just come here and just read it and then give explanation as we go through. Not trying to piece it together in a timeline. Do you guys understand? I could have done that. I could just say, we're going to learn today about a woman clothed with the sun, the moon, and under her feet are a crown of 12 stars, excuse me, uh, with the sun, the moon, under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. And I could just go, this is what I think it is, and then just keep moving. Where the problem comes in, and this is where we have to use humility, all of us who want to take the Bible serious, is how do we place it in a timeline? Somebody say timeline. That's the complication, and that's really where 
where the Christians begin to argue. There's one set of Christians, as we've talked about, who are preterists, who actually believe all of this has already happened, and the millennial reign is just the age of the church, and all we're just waiting for is Christ to come back in the new heavens and new earth. That literally the reign of the church is a thousand years, and all of this was a description of the temple being destroyed in 70 AD with Nero. The moment they go there, the entire book is allegorical. In other words, the symbols now have symbols that have symbols. But if you are like me, not a preterist, but you are a futurist, how many believe this is speaking to the future? That it can't have happened in 70 AD. There wasn't a locust army roaming the earth with the pallion, the demon lord, right? There wasn't a third of the sun turning black. Okay, this is impossible. And if you take it all symbolically, then it doesn't mean anything anymore. Honestly, I just feel like they make mincemeat out of it. So if you're a futurist, somebody say I'm a futurist. The challenge for you now as a futurist is to come up with a timeline. And that's why the major positions of futurists are pre-tribulation rapture, mid-tribulation rapture, post-tribulation rapture. But we have used the pre-tribulation rapture as our guidance of timeline, and that's why we see it linear. That's why we see that we were removed here, and these things are happening here. And today we're going to learn more about that timeline and how it works out. So let's now go to chapter 11, verse 1. Well, you know what? Let me just do this, because I want to make sure I don't confuse myself and others today. I'm going to interpret today these seven signs to you right now. Are you ready for them to be interpreted. So at least while we read these 60 verses, which I believe we can do it in our time together here today, that you understand where I'm going with this. So I don't have to like take extra time to explain. I will explain, but at least you can know where I'm going. The woman, I believe, is the nation of Israel. Some Roman Catholics say the woman is Mary. It's impossible, and I'll show you that in just a moment. The dragon is Satan. He's going to have seven heads. Those seven heads, we're told. We're actually told what these are later on in Revelation 17. The seven heads are the seven hills he rules on from seven kingdoms that have come from the earth. Seven kingdoms that have ruled the world. The eighth kingdom is the Antichrist kingdom. He has ten horns, and those are the ten united kings at that time that make up the Antichrist kingdom. The son or the lamb is who? Who is that person? Jesus, thank you. The first beast we're going to learn about is the Antichrist. The second beast is the false prophet. The 144,000 are the sealed Israelites in the tribulation, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes. We believe this fulfills what God prophesied to the Jews, that they would be saved, that God has a future plan for them, not just for us to be in the age of the church together, but for God to establish his kingdom in Jerusalem through the seed of David. How many believe that? And so he's a real messianic king through the seed of David to real Israelites, and here they are. They even get a song that we can't even sing. So those of us who don't think it's important to pray for the Jews now, think about it. They're going to have a song that you can't sing. Now, right now, Mariah Carey has a lot of songs I can't sing, okay? Whitney Houston, any, any other good singer, Celine Dion, I can't sing, right? But this will be a song in heaven none of us can sing except for them. So this is important, as heaven comes to earth, rather, I should say. But they will get taken to heaven right before Armageddon and then come, and they'll be singing this song only they can sing. They will come back with us because they will not be a part of the judgment. I believe they get raptured right before him. And then there's the three angels that have three messages. One message from the angel is the gospel. The other one is the judgment of Babylon. 
which we'll learn about in weeks to come. We'll hear about Babylon today, but not an explanation of it until after the bowls of wrath, which once again, thank God for helping us stay on our toes, okay? But you'll hear Babylon is destroyed before you even understand what Babylon is. That's how it actually goes in the timeline. You'll learn about Babylon afterward, and then you'll have to figure out why it was destroyed. And I believe it's because it's a wicked city slash nation that has corrupted the world through a one-world religion, one-world government, okay? And then the last angel talks about the judgment on those who receive the mark of the beast. Everybody go, ooh. Okay, let's go now. Revelation chapter 12, verse 1. Here come the signs. The first one, a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. Now, let's go to Genesis chapter 37, verse 9. What did John see that day? A woman clothed with stars and the sun and the moon at her feet, correct? Have we seen those symbols before? Yes, we have. How many remember the, star, uh, the story of Joseph? And the story of Joseph is very similar. You're getting it up there for me, brother? Thank you. Genesis chapter 37. So as we go and have him get the notes in front of him as well, because we, I want to go back and forth somewhat quickly today. Now notice Joseph here. He's going to get a, a vision or a dream rather. And now look at what he says it's described as in 37 verse 9. Then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream. And at this time, the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing to me. When we go to the book of Revelation, everything is exactly the same except there's 12 stars. Why is there 11 stars for Joseph and 12 stars here? Because Joseph is the 12th star. Joseph is the 12th last tribe, right? Are you guys tracking with me? Now, Benjamin, eventually will get a tribe. Dan will get kicked out. And that's why some people have the, the feeling that that's why we don't see Dan in the list of the 12 tribes getting 12,000. But that is not an unfamiliar sign to us in the scriptures. So the moment we see this, we should not think that the woman is Mary. If you had already heard this, you would not think to yourself, the woman with the 12 stars around her head and sun and moon is going to be Mary. You would know this is a symbol for Israel because remember, in the time of Joseph, who is the sun and the moon? Sun and the moon is a, uh, Jacob, his wife, who are the 11 stars, the tribes of Israel. And what is the woman throughout the scriptures? The woman are the people of God, the bride of Christ. What is going to be the antithesis to the bride of Christ? The whore of what? Babylon. Somebody say Babylon. The whore of Babylon, as the King James says, or the prostitute in the NIV. Whatever, whatever language you like. And if you say it for short, she's the hoe of Babylon, right? Come on, somebody. Ho, whore, prostitute. Which word do you want to use? You pick it. Verse 2, she was pregnant and cried out in pain as she went to give birth. So yes, the woman Israel is going to give birth. Isaiah 54, 1 through 8 says, O barren woman, shout for joy. Your children are going to be greater than the woman that could have children. This is a prophetic message to Israel. Somebody say Israel. Israel was known as a barren child because of her sin and her disobedience. But now she's going to give, be given birth to a miraculous child. But let's just say you want to be a Roman Catholic and believe it's Mary. I'm going to show you how it's impossible to be Mary, okay? So she's pregnant. She cries out in pain. She's about ready to give birth. Then another 
another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its head. You don't learn the interpretation now. That's why I gave it to you at the beginning. You have to skip ahead to Revelation 17, verses 9 through 14, to understand seven heads represent seven hills and seven kingdoms. Ten horns represent ten kings that give the Antichrist his authority. We learn that later on. But the red dragon, we're going to find out, is the devil. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. How many know this is the reference to a third of the angels falling with Satan? Did you know that? If you not, if you didn't, now you learn. How many already did know? Amen. It came from Revelation. This is the time that we know about it. So hold on here. What's going on? It says that as Christ is born, that now Satan takes a third of the angels. But I thought by the time of Christ's birth, there's already Satan and fallen angels upon the earth. What's going on? You see, it's flipping back and forth. It's telling you that this dragon is going to chase down this woman now. But the dragon at another time had taken a third of the angels with him. Otherwise, if you don't see that this sign period is flipping back and forth out of a linear timeline, now you're going to have to say at the birth of Christ, Satan fell. Then you're going to also have to say that he took a third of the demons. But then what were possessing these people before he came? Remember, there were spirits already there. So now you understand that the protocol we're going to have to use in the sign, um, you would call it a pause in the linear timeline, we're going to have to be willing to just jump all around. We're going to take these signs to a very... um, Uh, We're going to take them very literal as they're giving to us metaphorical. We're going to try to understand what they're doing literally on the earth. So there is going to be actual things they're doing, but we're going to have to give up a linear timeline, okay? Its tail swept a third of the stars of the sky and flung them to earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born, probably talking about killing the firstborn children that came from Herod. How many remember that? That was an edict that was given. So the devil's trying to take out his life. So we're supposed to now think that actually came from the devil being used of men. Abortion is a demonic idea, being used of men, right? Come on, somebody. Can I get an amen? She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. We know that's Jesus. Go back to Psalm 2, verse 9. Her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. See, we just, we just missed his entire life. We missed the entire scene of the cross. It's born, now snatched up to God. Do you get how it's jumping around? You're, you're taken here to the birth scene, and then right after the birth scene, he snatched up to God into his throne. Well, is that how it actually went in the timeline? He was born and then snatched up to God? No, there's a whole lot that happened in between. His life, right? His life happened. He lived. His ministry, his death his burial, his resurrection. But why is this sign just skipping around or this section skipping around? Because it's building up to a point. Let's keep going. The woman fled into the wilderness to take, uh, the woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. Now, how in the world could this be Mary? Jesus is already in heaven. Now, if you go, well, we're bouncing back to Mary's life. Well, where was Mary put away for three years into the wilderness, three and a half years. You know, the, 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 the calendar of the Jews is 360 days, 12 months, th- uh, 30 days a month, okay? So here's our three and a half years. It wouldn't make any sense. But this would make sense if we're following through as Israel. 
So Israel is the woman, and the woman was used via Mary to give birth to the Messiah. Now Israel is going to be taken care of. When do I think this time period is? That last three and a half years. That last three and a half years. Let me just share with you why. Go to Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, and then I'll give you the icing on the cake where I know this has to be the last three and a half years. It comes up in just a moment, but trust, uh, uh, trust me for now, or at least listen for now, and then trust me later. It's up to you. Okay. It's up to you. I won't take it personal. Now look at Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. Here's where we get the, the 77s, 490 years. And out of those 490 years, 483 all happen before Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. This is the chart of Daniel. Daniel is given 77s. 7 times 7 is 49 years. That's until the destruction of the temple, or rather uh, when Daniel gets the prophecy, to when the new temple will be built. Somebody say 49 years. That happened. Daniel was around during the time after the temple was destroyed. God says to him, in 49 years, 70, excuse me, 7 times 7, the temple will be rebuilt. But then he gets another prophecy that says 62 sevens will then bring you to the time of the Messiah. How many think that's pretty awesome that the Bible prophesies the coming of the Messiah to the year? You don't think that's awesome? Come on, how many think that's amazing? That's why we believe in Jesus. Jesus didn't just show up on the scene and say, I'm the Messiah. He's fulfilling prophecy. It had to be at that time. And now that the temple's destroyed, the one that Daniel saw built in his time, it's impossible for the Messiah to ever come in that sense because the Messiah was promised to Daniel to come to that temple that was built. Does everybody get it? Once that temple was destroyed, how can the Messiah come and fulfill the promise to Daniel? And yet it's so clearly laid out. Look at Daniel while he's praying right here. In Daniel chapter 9, 24, 70 sevens were decreed. Let's get this, uh, let's see if I can get this off here. 70 sevens are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgressions, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, to anoint the most holy place. This is amazing. Know and understand this. From the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one. One of the only places in the entire Hebrew scriptures where the Mashiach, the actual word for the Messiah, is used. Other prophecies we have for the Messiah, there's over a hundred, if not more, are usually general references. This is one of the only places where it actually says the anointed one, the Mashiach, the Messiah, will come. Now notice, it's not a vague thing. It now comes with years and dates. Until the anointed one comes, the ruler comes, there will be 70 sevens and 62 sevens. There will be 49 years and there will be 483 years. Or, uh, excuse me, there will be 49 years and there will be 434 years. There's going to be seven sevens and there's going to be 62 sevens for a total of 483 years. Does everybody get that? I mean, this is not too hard. Do you do math? How many people do math? You need to talk to your atheist friend and say, this is why I believe in Jesus. You don't even have to have faith. Just do math. Just do math. We'll get to faith in believing that he's your Lord and Savior in just a moment, but do you do math? It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble, after the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be put to death. It prophesies not only that the anointed one will come, but will be put to death and will have nothing. The People of the ruler will come, will destroy the city and the sanctuary, then predicts the destruction of that sanctuary. Oh, I wish I had half a church this morning. I know I'm getting deep into math right now, but is this not amazing? Daniel is given a prophecy. 
49 years, you're going to rebuild the temple. Read the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, it happened. He's then told, in another set of, of sevens, in the set of these sevens, the Messiah is going to come, get cut off, and then the, the destruction of the temple, that one you just built, is going to come. Well, thanks, God, for telling us that. We're going to build it. It's going to be destroyed. Messiah is going to come, and he's going to be killed. Look at The anointed one will be put to death. See, this idea that they didn't have the reference of a dying Messiah is not true. It was put in their scriptures, Isaiah 53, Daniel. It says, now watch, the end will come like a flood. Now what does it do? It skips to the last seven. Because remember, if you are given by God 77s, but you can only account for 69, here are the seven that you're accounting for with the temple. Here are 62, which you're accounting for the coming of the Messiah, his death, and the destruction of the temple. You have 69 sevens. You are left with a seven. Does everybody get that? You're left with a seven if you are prophesied 70 sevens. Now Daniel jumps ahead. And he says that in this last seven, the end will come like a flood. War will continue into the end. The desolation has been con- con- uh, decreed. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. That he is the Antichrist. In the middle of the seven, now does everybody understand why we have 42 months? 1,262 days. Uh, 1,260 days, rather. That is the half of the seven. In the middle of the seven, he'll put an end to sacrifice and offering and at the temple. Well, hold on. I thought the temple was destroyed. You just told me right up here that he will come and destroy the city and the sanctuary. But then it says that the Antichrist is going to come or this leader is going to come, and he's going to be where? Where is he going to be? In the temple. What does that, that already assume? There has to be a third temple. What is the third temple? Ezekiel's temple. Ezekiel's alive during this same time, and he prophesies about a temple that's not rebuilt by Ezra and Nehemiah. That's why I spent time on that and confused some of you. But it's important to understand Ezekiel's prophecy to God's people has to come to pass. It's a unique temple that's never been built on the earth. And so that temple, I believe, is the place where the Antichrist comes. But how does it first need to be set up? There has to be peace to build the temple. Muslims have to be willing to give up their land, and they want to kill each other right now in that part of the world. That's why it says he'll make a covenant for the seven. The Antichrist will be that world leader that brings peace in the Middle East. And if you don't think that's relevant, just read the newspaper today. Everybody's mind is still on the Middle East. And this is what we're waiting for before or after Christ comes, but I'm waiting for Jesus, right? That's what I meant to say. I'm waiting. They're waiting for this. I'm waiting for Jesus, and then I'll get into this. In the middle of the seven, he'll put an end to sacrifice and offering. And at the temple, he'll set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured upon him. Now, going back to our scripture, why is that so important to understand? Because once you get this, that the Antichrist is going to try to come and, or will come and do all of this, but God will thwart him, you'll understand the timeline. Let's keep going. Then war broke out in heaven. When did war break out in heaven? When the Antichrist, through the dragon, begins to pursue the woman Israel. And God is protecting her, and as God is protecting her, spiritual battles start happening in the heavenlies. Verse 7, then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down. That ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. 
So now when you go into the scriptures, you begin to understand in Job, he could go to God's throne and have interaction with God there. But now he is cast out of that heavenly realm, and he cannot even be in the warring realm. There is the realm of God. There is the realm of the war in the heavenly places, which is Ephesians 6, telling us we're fighting now with them. But then he is cast from there directly to the earth. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser, remember that's what's happening in Job. He's accusing Job. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. That's how I know this has to be future. This cannot be talking about some time that has already passed. The devil can come to earth, but he has not been hurled down to earth. If he has, then why does Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, and let's just turn there so everybody can see, why does it tell me to war in the heavenly realms if he's already gone from the heavenly realms? How is there spiritual forces in high places if they've already been cast down? Do you get this in the timeline? It could not have been at the time of Jesus. It says here in verse 12, it says, take your stand. You know, against the devil's schemes, ending verse 11, verse 12 now. For our struggles, not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world. Now watch, against the spiritual forces of evil, where? In heavenly realms. So could that have been in the past at any time? No, because right now we're warring in the heavenly realms. So people who see this as the time of Jesus or any time in the early church, it's impossible There's an actual change of position with the devil that happens towards the end. He can no longer go between God's throne, the heavenly realm of battle, and, you know, go from God's throne and the heavenly realm of battle. He is cast down now to this literal earth, and he is now only able to be in this realm. They triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as a shrink from death. These are the ones being saved from the 144,000 preaching the gospel. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, you who dwell in them. That's people like Michael. That's people like Gabriel. That's where those angels have been. Between the throne of God and between our earth is that battle realm. Now he's saying to them, be happy. You guys don't got to mess with this dude anymore. He's cast out of your realm. So you who are in the heavens and dwell in them, rejoice. But woe to the earth. And to the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. Now, when the dragon saw that he had been hurled to earth, so it must have happened so fast, he didn't know what happened. What just happened? I guess I'm not able to battle up there anymore. I'm down here now. Okay. When the dragon saw that he had been hurled down to earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. Now do you see in my timeline how I know this cannot be Mary? Has the devil come to earth, or rather let me ask it this way, when Mary gave birth to Jesus, was the devil cast out of the heavenlies unto earth? No. The Bible literally says long after the time of the birth of Jesus, during the epistles, during the writings of Paul, that we're still battling in the heavenlies. So this has nothing to do with Mary. Mary is not the woman. The woman is Israel, and yes, because Mary is an Israelite, she was used by God to give birth to Jesus. But the woman is not Israel, because this woman has to be around when the devil's on earth looking to pursue her. And what is that? The 12 tribes of Israel, the 144,000. Those are the main stars of the show from this point on. 
Get that. There will be people getting saved because of them, but they're not the main actors. We know Christ is the main person of the book of Revelation. Don't get me wrong, but just follow the thought here of why we're getting the signs. The major actors here that we're supposed to be supporting, the ones we're supposed to be cheering on, is Israel, the 144,000. God is doing a work in them, keeping his promise that dates all the way back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So the woman was given two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly to a place prepared for her in the wilderness. Did Mary ever fly? Did she ever leave twice? No, it says she went to Egypt once, but does she ever go again? And that's not even a wilderness, no. Where should be taken care of for time, times, and half a time? That's another way of saying three and a half. Out of the serpent's reach. Now, how do I know this is Israel once again? Go to Exodus 19.4, please. Exodus 19.4 uses the exact same imagery of Israel being delivered from Egypt. What does God say about Israel being delivered from Egypt when they look back on it? Exodus chapter 19, verse 4. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on what kind of wings? Eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Notice the language. The woman is carried on the two wings of a great eagle. There she is taken care of out of the serpent's reach. That means for the last three and a half years, as the Antichrist has defiled the temple, and as he's now trying to kill the 144,000, he will not be able to. They will be protected. Now watch what will then happen to the rest of the Christians. Because it says, Then from his mouth the serpent, the serpent spewed water like a river to overtake the woman and sweep her away from the torrent. The book of Psalms uses that language of troubles being like water, like troubled waters, if you've heard that before. But the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. So whatever he's throwing at her, God is protecting her from. Verse 17, then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her what? Offspring. Those are the left behind Christians. You cannot kill the 144,000, but the offspring, the ones that the 144,000 have reached, they now become more of the martyrs, those who keep God's commands and hold fast to their testimony about Jesus. Somebody say amen. amen. One chapter down, two more to go. Are you guys learning some goodies today? I believe I can do it because it's a lot of reading, a little bit of explaining, and a whole lot of understanding the timeline. If you understand the timeline, it makes sense. Now look at chapter 13, verse 1. The dragon. Who is the dragon? The devil. Now watch. The dragon stood on the shore of the sea. So here's part of the vision. Now we're going to get another sign. I saw a beast coming out of the sea. It had ten horns and seven heads with ten crowns on its horns and on each head a blasphemous name. Notice that it's exactly like the dragon. Didn't the dragon have the same exact things? Go back up. Look at it. Discount it real quick here. You see seven heads, ten horns, ten crowns. Let's go back up here as we see our first introduction to the dragon. The dragon has the same things. The dragon comes. What does he have? Seven heads. How many horns? Ten horns. How many crowns? Seven horns. What does this show us about this beast, what we'll call the Antichrist because of Thessalonians? Paul calls him an Antichrist or the man of lawlessness. John calls it an Antichrist. How, 
Why do we think this Antichrist has the same description as the dragon? Because this Antichrist is an antithesis to the relationship that Jesus has with the Father. He said, me and the Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen who? The Father. Now it's the same with the Antichrist. If you see me, who are you seeing? The devil. Now we know this unholy trinity of the devil... The Antichrist and the false prophet do not have the divine nature, but they are a replication. They are a false imitation of the divine nature of God. That's why the Antichrist is described in the same exact way. Look at verse 2. The beast I saw resembled a leopard, but had feet like those of a bear, and a mouth like that of a lion. Why is it described this way? Daniel chapter 7 describes four nations. One is like a leopard. One is like a bear. One is like a lion. And one is a creature with many horns on its head. The Antichrist world government will be a combination of all the wicked governments that have come before it. Those who would be hearing that imagery would understand that was Daniel's imagery. And remember, as I shared before, Daniel is the most quoted book of Revelation. And we've already heard so much of his imagery when it comes to the days and the times and all of those things. So they would understand. I'm going to go back to Daniel chapter 7. I'm going to understand. This is the Babylonian Empire as a leopard, the Medes and Persians as a bear, the Greek Empire as a lion, and the Roman Empire as the ten united uh, kingdoms, the Caesars that came under them. Now, verse 3, one of the heads of the beast seemed to have had a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. So now we're going to see that the beast, the Antichrist, has some kind of a resurrection. That's going to be talked about in a few more verses, but just hold that thought in your mind. The whole world was filled with wonder and followed the beast. Every time we're seeing beasts, we're thinking Antichrist, right? Okay, thank you. People worship the dragon because he had given authority to the beast. So people are cool with worshiping the devil because he's on the earth now. And as we've gone a little bit sci-fi in this, how is he appearing? Probably as an angel of light or, in other words, as an extraterrestrial being. As an alien, possibly. And has some of our media prepared us for an alien invasion? Aliens to be our friends, our rulers? And so somehow, he has deceived the people to be in worship. He's there as he can be as an angel of light. He's supporting the Antichrist. People worship the dragon because of the authority he's given to the beast. And they also worship the beast and ask, who is like the beast? Who can wage war against the beast? The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and exercises authority for how many months? 42 months. How many days is that going to be? 1,200 and what? 60 days. See, that's that three and a half years. Let's just go to the timeline real quick. Everything that we're learning about now, I believe, is the last three and a half years. Where are the 144,000? They're in some place safe. What is the Antichrist doing? He is now turning against the earth. He is showing his true wickedness. He's trying to kill the 144,000. He can't, but he's killing their disciples. He's then ruling the world now more wickedly and openly in demonic attack. And what's God going to begin to do? He's going to begin to send the bowls of wrath upon him, the, the dragon, the beast, the false prophet, and those who have received the mark of the beast. Are you guys tracking with the timeline? So we're just learning about how he builds up his kingdom. He's cast to earth. He's now going to reveal himself. He has nothing to hide now. He is now going to take over through the Antichrist, through the beast, and they are going to be as one power ruling, and we'll learn about the prophet who comes in just a moment. So he gets his power and authority for these uh, 42 months. 
It opened its mouth, talking about the beast, to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. So now they are just fully attacking God. They are uh, The Antichrist, the beast, uh, you know, the dragon, they're not trying to play nice anymore. Like all religions are the same. We love and respect you. Now his true heart has come out. He has taken away the veil, everybody get this, that it's been a battle about us and him. He is now being honest. It's always been a battle about between me and God. And now he is showing his true colors. I've just been using you as a pawn in my battle. You see, because the devil will make you rich for a time, but to a greater end just to have you be on his side. He doesn't care about the riches and the fun you're having now. He just wants you to be on his side against rebelling against the God who created him. So the devil just uses and abuses us for his own purpose. Verse 7. It was given power to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. And it was given, and it, talking about the beast, was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. Well, hold on. Doesn't Matthew chapter 28 end with Jesus saying that all power and authority has been given to him? Go make disciples of the nations. Come on, can I have somebody say amen to that? But now it says he has power to conquer them. I thought we were more than conquerors. I thought no weapon formed against us should prosper. I thought at the name of Jesus, demons run. Y'all getting quiet here? You're quiet in this Presbyterian church. Is this a Pentecostal church or Presbyterian? God bless them, but come on, can I get a shout? Come on, somebody shout hallelujah. We were given the authority, but now look at here, it's taken. See, now do you get why in the timeline from moment one, when did I say the rapture happened, before or after the tribulation? Why? Because how can the church be here and not have authority over the devil? How can the church be here and be conquered by the devil? I'm not talking about we have struggles in this world. Yes, we do. But the Bible literally says he conquers them. It literally says he has authority over them. That's because it's not the church age. Remember, Matthew chapter 28. Please put it there, verse 17 and onward. He said this to them. He said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And I you know, put the other part before that, but watch. And he says, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the what? To the very end of the what? Age. So there's an expiration date to the authority that we're given as the church. That's why when it talks about in 2 Thessalonians, we hold him back. Put 2 Thessalonians in there, chapter 3, I believe. We're holding him back, the Antichrist, in his power. He cannot come here and reveal himself and to have this kind of authority until we're taken out the way. Come on, is it 2 Thessalonians chapter 2? Here it is. Chapter 2, verse 7. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work. Because remember, the beast is a culmination of all the kingdoms that have come before. We already learned about that. He's like a leopard. He's like a bear. Do you get it? He's already at work in the Roman Empire, in other words. The secret power of lawlessness is already at work. But the one who now holds it back will continue to do so till he's taken out the way. And then the lawless and the one will be revealed. So we here right now, come on somebody. We're right here with the boom shakalaka power of God. Get you some of that. You better take your authority now over the devil. Those things that come in the middle of the night, bump around and make you afraid, cast them out in Jesus' name. Because there's going to come a time where they're going to torment the Christian. That Christian who's left in the tribulation will be tormented by them, on the run from them. 
And that's why we should not look forward to the tribulation as a time to repent. It's going to be a miserable time. Know Jesus now. Serve Jesus now. Amen? I hope that's settling in somebody's spirit. Don't wait till it's too late. Hallelujah. But he can't do that to the 144,000. As it said, they are sealed, and we'll learn more about that in just a moment. Verse 8 of chapter 13, all the inhabitants of the earth will now worship the beast. All whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life, the Lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. God has always known this would be his plan. Verse 9, whoever has ears, let them hear. If anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity they will go. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, with the sword they will be killed. This calls for patience, a patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of God's people. This is literally a message to them. That is a quote from Jeremiah 15 too, and it was a message to those people. Guys, some of you are going to die, and it's just going to happen. Some of you are going to go into captivity, and it's just going to happen. And it's going to call for your patient endurance, your faithfulness. That's what it's calling for. So those who are left behind will read this and understand there is no deliverance for them now. They have to either survive until the end when Christ comes, or they will die and be put in captivity beheaded. That's it. That is a message to them. I also believe Matthew 24 is a message to them as well as it talks about this time, which if we have the opportunity, we'll get into later in the series. Verse 11, then I saw a second beast. Somebody say a second beast. Now, who do I believe the second beast is? The false prophet. But let me show you why real quick. Go to Revelation 16, 13, just so you can jump ahead. Revelation chapter 16, 13, it says that the second beast is the false prophet. Chapter 16, verse 13, talks about that impure spirits come out of this person. Watch. Then I saw three impure spirits that looked like frogs. They came out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the what? The false prophet. You see, there's your demonic trinity. The dragon, the antichrist, the false prophet. And when these spirits come, they come out of all three of them. What kind of wickedness is happening then? I mean, are they all standing by each other? So it goes like, you know, like a Russian folding doll. The dragon's up here, and then the Antichrist, and then the false prophet, and then the dragon pukes out the three spirits, and then they go through the Antichrist, and then they go through the false prophet. I don't know what's going on, but I'll be munching up in heaven worshiping Jesus. Amen. I'll be enjoying the Lamb's Supper up there. I'll be like, yeah, that looks crazy. I'm glad I'm with you, Gabriel. I'm glad you don't have to wrestle these things anymore. You're up here with me now. Because remember, they've been cast out of the realm. They're just chilling with us now, waiting for their next orders. Come on, somebody. So I saw a second beast coming out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, but it spoke like a dragon. So now here we see that it's a false prophet. False prophets build up your ego, make you feel comfortable. They look like lambs, but they're really wolves, aren't they? That's why we have to be aware of them even now as we're building up for this time. It, talking about the false prophet, exercised all the authority. <clears throat> Can I get some water, please, and a mint? Thank you. Preaching up here. You guys have a good time? Amen. Come on. I came back, didn't I, Dare? I came back. Woo! Came back, man. I uh, know, man. <laughs> Just a little side talk here as we're waiting for the water, man. I was so disappointed in myself last week. I wrote Daryl and some of the other brothers. I'm like hanging my head low, and I'm like, I'll do better, I promise. Don't you give up on me. Don't give up on me now. Ooh, praise God. All by his grace. Amen? 
It exercised all the authority of the first beast on its behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. So now we know a little bit about this wound. It actually was fatal. That's why we say there's some type of a resurrection that happens. And it performed great signs, even causing fire to come down on the earth. Thank you. In full view of the people. So now notice that these lying signs and wonders are the same things that God had once did in the past. This, this false prophet can bring down fire from heaven. Who was the prophet that brought down fire from heaven in the Old Testament? Mm-hmm. Come on. Woo. About ready to choke on water. Talk to your neighbor about Elijah. Well, I saved myself from choking. Too excited. There we go. Because of the signs, it was given great power to perform on behalf of the first beast. It deceived the inhabitants of the earth. Go to Matthew chapter 24, verse 24. It could deceive almost anybody, the Bible says. And if those days had not been cut short, even the elect could be deceived. Look at this. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear. And then the greatest ones will come at the end. The false messiah is the Antichrist, the last one, right? The last false prophet is the second beast. Perform great signs and wonders to deceive, even if possible, the elect. See, I've told you this ahead of time. In other words, we might get from this that if God had not sealed the 144,000, they might have been led astray. But God is being merciful to them. He will not allow them to be deceived by this, this, this demonic attack upon them. It ordered them, the false prophet, ordered the people to set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. So we hear three things about this situation that, had, that happened. At the beginning, one of the heads is wounded. That's what we hear. The next thing is that it was a fatal wound. That's what the next thing that we hear. Then the third thing is that it was wounded by the sword. So either the sword meaning a literal sword or a, or a gun, something shoots this thing or cuts off this man's head or something like that, and he dies. It's in his head. Stabs him in the head, shoots him in the head, and he comes back to life. So think about this. There is a resurrection of the Antichrist imitating the real Christ who had a resurrection. This is why people will be deceived. This is why they'll be deceived. They're, they're literally getting what they've always asked for. Signs, wonders, show it all to me and I'll believe it. But even in the time of the Bible, when they saw some of those things, they still didn't believe because what came after the signs and wonders, the commands of God. But now they get to kind of do what they want in the, in the beast kingdom. And so when they see all this, this is just more reason for them to believe. But go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8. The Bible's very clear. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8 that the reason why these people are under so much punishment of deception, or rather under so much deception, is because it's a punishment. Some may say a punishment. Look at what the Bible says here. Do I have it as 2 Thessalonians? Yeah, I do. Look at verse 12 or verse 11. It is verse 12. Let's start in verse 11. For this reason. No, let's go up to verse 10. Look at it here. And all the ways that the wickedness deceives those who are perishing, they perish. Why? Because they what? Refuse to love the truth and be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion. So that's why Bill Gates will take the mark of the beast if he's not saved. God's like, man, you rejected me this whole time. Now I'm going to have you worship a beast. This is now why the religions of the world will all turn towards this. 
because they did not accept Christ in the gospel during the time of their salvation. I pray for their salvation. How many are still praying for salvation? Amen. The second beast was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that the image could speak and cause all who refused the image to be killed. You want to talk about some sci-fi stuff here. Not only does the Antichrist resurrect, have a moment of resurrection, that's how much demonic authority is upon the earth, but he also can create a beastly, a beastly image that can kill. What is my best sci-fi explanation of this? He clones himself. Think about that, genetics and what's going on right now. They're cloning animals. He is going to clone himself into some kind of hybrid creature that can roam the earth and kill people. I mean, God have mercy on this land. Does everybody see why you need Jesus? This thing might be able to fly. I mean, you, you talk about the most craziest things you've seen in the horror movies, whatever. That's what this could be. It could be a flying human-like demonic creature, like a gargoyle chasing down people. It is going to be some type of creature that they make demonically, and people are going to watch this thing come to life. And somehow, it could also be, if you want to go there, it could be uh, genetically modified, like we would say, a clone, but it also might have AI, GPS built into it. It might be the first human clone and human slash robot. Imagine that. Iron Man full of demons chasing you down. Has a GPS, finds you wherever you're at. I mean, that's what it says. And we're going to get to his mark right here in a moment, but just think about how that would seem silly back then. How is he going to do that? We know about cloning now. That's not too far from our imagination, is it? And we know about GPS now because it says that the people who refuse to worship the beast are hunted down by the image of the beast. So it's an idol that actually moves around and talks. It's like a RoboCop. Like I said, a demonic uh, Iron Man. And my wife, you know, for her birthday, she wanted to go back through some of the Marvel comic books. And when you see Iron Man and how fast he can fly, break the sound barrier, have a GPS built in, they'll be able to find you if you don't have the mark. And imagine reading this years ago and people making fun of Christians going, how in the world? I mean, come on. You know, in the 1800s, Christianity is so unscientific, even though we established a scientific method 100 years before that, you know. But you guys are so dumb. You're so full of mythology. Oh, yeah, but keep reading. That beast forces all people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hands or on their foreheads. Let's, let's uh, see if I can right-click this, open uh, in a new window. How many have already seen the technology for the marks? For the technology. There it is. So imagine this. Imagine you're living during the time. And, and um, you know what, brothers? Uh, let's just leave it here and then maybe bring me back to the message just for a second. Thank you. Imagine living 100 years ago and you're told about a mark that you can't buy or sell with that's going to be put in your forehead or in your hand. And now all of a sudden, people look at you and they go, how is that going to happen? You're stupid. We can't believe in that. Thank you. And now look at it. The Bible was right, wasn't it? Back then, what was the best thing they could have ever came up with in their mind? Oh, a tattoo. They're going to put a tattoo. They're going to mark you like they marked the Roman Legion or whatever. They're going to brand you. Well, you know, if I'm, if I'm not branded, I can still move away somewhere. I can go find a place in the, the wilderness. I can go make my own food. How many know now you couldn't make your own food? 
How many know you couldn't go hide anywhere? How many know Google Earth can already find you? And that's not even the stuff the military has. And how many know once they put that mark in you, they've got you? Now, here's where I want to be clear. I don't think that's the mark of the beast. Why? Because it's clear in the passage that they could not buy and sell unless they have the mark, which is the same name as the beast, which is the same name of the beast or the number of his name. And then it says right here um, uh, later on that they cannot be saved. Let me skip down. So I know it can't be that because they cannot be saved. Let me show you here, and I'll tell you why I think they can't be saved after they receive it. It says there will be no rest. This is chapter 14 now. There will be no rest day or night for those who worship the beast in its image or for anyone who receives the mark of its name. Okay? Okay, and right here it says, if anyone who worships the beast, rather, it's verse 9, and its image and receives the mark on the forehead of their hand, they too will drink of the wrath of God. So there's no way out of this. I, I don't believe if you receive this that there's no way you can't be saved. So what do I think the mark is? I think the mark has something to do with AI technology as well. So I think it now prohibits your free will. And if not, you're still as hard-hearted as can be like a pharaoh willing to go into the Red Sea. You'll, you'll, you'll rebel against God anyways. But imagine if they put a mark in you that made you like a zombie. Imagine if they put a mark in you that could affect you chemically, that could subdue you to their will. In other words, like a date-rape drug. What if this mark had chemicals that it released inside of you? Now, some of you may say, well, that sounds like the vaccine. I think it's more complicated than that. I think it's more complicated than that. But I think how they use the vaccine, how they promote the vaccine, how it's sinister like the vaccine, that's what this will be like. And as you see people lining up all happy-go-lucky to get it, <laughs> that's how they'll be. You'll, you'll see Oprah like, I'm getting the mark. You'll see T.D. Jakes, I'm getting the mark. <laughs> Joe Losi will open up his church to have everybody come get the mark if they don't get right with God. Are you listening? Amen. So going back to this passage right here, it says they won't be able to buy or sell unless they have the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the person who has insight calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of man. That number is 666. Now let me open this up for you as well. Here is how the Jewish people number by letters. This is how they number by letters. And so we would assume this would apply to a name in Hebrew. So you would have to translate a name to Hebrew, and you would add it up together. So as you can see, Alpha is like their A, Beta, Bait is like their, you know, their B, <coughs> excuse me, then their G, their D, their H. You guys get it. They have numerical values. So it, it goes in their alphabet from Alpha to Yud to 10, and then after that, the next letters represent 20, 30, 40. Then the next letters represent 100, all the way here to 900. So if we could go back to the message, please. The name of the beast, if you took his letters of his name, added them together with the Jewish understanding of numbers, would come to 666. And once again, can 666 be in a barcode? Can it be in one of the, the data points? Can it be a name of something? Yes, it could be somewhere in there, and it could also be his name. And we've seen this already. We've seen that it's easy to have numbers and barcodes be the same. Some of you have account numbers in your family, and it all starts with the same few numbers, etc. Then after that, you get your own number. And so we can see how this will be the mark of the beast. Now we can go back to our friends and say, how did God, uh, how would a rather a person 2,000 years ago be able to predict this? Show them Daniel. Come on, use the Bible and the prophecy to help people come to Christ. Show them Daniel. Say, how would Daniel know that? 
How would Daniel be able to predict when the Messiah would come and the destruction of the temple that they hadn't even built yet? How would they know that? How would the people 2,000 years ago writing, talking about what it would be like to be in this end-time government, be able to understand what marks could do and what images could do? How would they understand cloning, AI, GPS? How would they? They wouldn't unless God was speaking through them. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Last chapter, we're doing well today. Let's go. Then I looked, and there before me was the Lamb standing on Mount Zion, with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. Now, remember, we're jumping back and forth, back and forth. I believe now we're looking at the end. The 144,000 have been brought to heaven at the end before Armageddon comes. They're going to come back with Jesus riding on horses. So there was multiple raptures that we saw throughout the scriptures. Everybody thinks about the main rapture of the church, which is cool, but we also have to know there's multiple ones. Remember the two witnesses? They were raptured. They were taken up to heaven. When we go back to the Old Testament, Elijah, Enoch, they were raptured, taken up to heaven. They're probably what we believe to be the two witnesses. We think they're referred to in the book of Revelation. So those two raptures are outside of our main rapture, and then here's another one, because now they're with him. How are they with him? They can't get martyred. Hello, come on, somebody. How are they with him? They can't be martyred. So they had to get up there somehow. And so now they're with him, and they have his name written on their heads, which is amazing, and the name of the Father. So they have the Son and the Father's name written on their heads. And I heard a sound from heaven like the roar of rushing waters and a loud peal of thunder. The sound I heard was that of harpists playing their harps. That's where we get the idea of harps. There they are. There's instruments in heaven. And they, talking about the 144,000, they sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. So I know they're in heaven. How many know they're in heaven? Because somebody could have said, well, Mount Zion means they're literally on the, you know, the temple mount there. No, no, no. They're literally in the throne room of God. They're there now. And they sang a new song. That's why I said, keep your eyes on the 144,000. They're the main players here. They sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. No one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. Now imagine this. You want to talk about something just being mind-blowing. Imagine us being here, and all of a sudden someone gets a tongue, and they start singing it, and everyone else gets the same tongue and starts singing with them in the same exact melody at the same time. And now you're a visitor in the church going, what in the world is going on? What song are you singing? But no one taught it to you. No one taught it to you. It just came by the Spirit in a language you've never learned. You may not even understand what you're saying, but let's say here God gives them supernatural knowledge. They do. But you're singing the song and people are looking at you. That's why things happen in heaven. Boom, they're up there singing in a language they've never learned. No one else can understand it. And they're singing this beautiful song to God. And we're sitting there going, God is amazing. God kept his word to Israel. God kept his promises to his people. There are the tribes of Israel around the throne worshiping their God. Oh, amazing. These are those who did not defile themselves with women, for they remained virgins. This is where when you talk to the Jehovah Witnesses who are wrong on basically everything they teach, but when they try to say that they, they've had people in their movement be a part of 144,000, all I have to do is ask them, were they virgins? No, they weren't. So if you're going to take that, you know, symbolically, you better take a whole lot of other things symbolically, okay? But uh, if they want to take it literally that they're the 144,000, no, your people can't be. They weren't virgins. Most of them are all married with kids, and they're part of the anointed class, as they say. No, these 144,000 were a unique group of young men and women saved during the time of the beginning of the tribulation. As we learned during the seals, they're marked 
and they remain virgins. They're, they're you know, bachelors to the rapture, or, you know, how many can, can see that's a thing you'd give up for Jesus? Come on. How many want to give that up for Jesus now? I don't know if I want to be a part of the 144,000, Jesus. But then there's others who are, who are always excited to be married to Jesus. I'm married to Jesus. So you go on then. Maybe you're Jewish and you don't know it. Maybe you're one of the 144,000 that's going to be chosen. Okay, so these who did not defile themselves with women, they remain virgins. They follow the lamb wherever he goes. They were purchased from among mankind and offered as a first fruits to God and the lamb. No lie was found in their mouths. They are blameless. Then I saw, now here we go. Here are the last ones, the three angels. Vinny, would you come please? Then I saw another angel flying in midair, and he had the eternal gospel. So we go right back to earth now, right? So we were up in heaven seeing 144,000 worship. Now we see the angel coming to earth. And he speaks to every nation, tribe, language, and people. Those that are now under the control of the Antichrist. What does he say? He said in a loud voice, fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. Somebody say amen to that. Amen. Thank you. Verse 8, a second angel followed and said, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. Hold on, we don't even know what Babylon is. John's like, keep reading, I'll tell you in just a minute. But just know right now it's getting destroyed. <laughs> so just think about that. Before you even know what it is, you know it gets destroyed. Tell me that's not God's way of just playing with these people. You think you're so awesome, you think you're all that, and then some, you're not even that big a deal in my timeline. I talk about your destruction before I even talk about you existing. Come on, somebody. He's the lamb slain before there ever was a problem. He's the lamb slain before the foundation of the earth. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, which made all the nations drink the maddening wine of her adulteries. We'll learn about her in just a little bit. She's given that feminine name to be a competition to the bride of Christ. But how many know? How many know you can't make a hoe a housewife? Come on, somebody. I had to say it. I had to say it. Come on. God's not taking a whore to heaven with him. Y'all better say amen or oh me. He's not taking a whore with him to heaven. He's taking the bride of Christ that's been washed in the blood, pure and spotless. The Bible says, don't be adulterers. Don't be cheating on God. You're going to receive the wrath of God. He's not going to make a hoe his housewife. Can a, can a whore be forgiven? Yes. Can a prostitute be forgiven? Yes. But if you're a part of the whoredom kingdom, if you're a part of the hoeing kingdom, if you're a part of the prostituting kingdom, you will not be married to Christ. So all these people saying, only God can judge me. That should scare you because he's going to judge the whore kingdom. He's going to judge Babylon and all of its inhabitants. But how many are glad you a hoe? No more. <laughs> Amen. How many have turned your back on living for the devil? I know I've got some people here that can relate. Don't get too mad at me. i got to preach to the young adults. You understand what I'm saying. You are a hoe? No Move. How many used to cheat on God? Let's be honest. How many used to go to church and then sin during the weekends? That's what you were just prophesying about. How many of you have been looking at pornography even coming to this church? Come on, somebody. God wants to change you into a beautiful bride. 
to make you what you once were not, to make you who you never could be. God is just and God is fair. All those who have rejected him will be condemned in that whore kingdom. Hallelujah. But those who have been with the bride of Christ, they will be with him. That's what we should be focused on is being with the bride of Christ. Do not, as the Bible says, spread open yourselves to this world in adultery. Do not pay your lovers with your lust and your affection. Give your heart to Jesus Christ. Can I hear an amen? As a matter of fact, go to the book of James so I can just put it on Scripture as we get ready to close out. Uh, James chapter 4. James chapter 4. I don't use words to be, a con- uh, you know, just to be, you know, what's that? We're not confrontational, but um, no, it's another C word. I don't use it just to get people's attention. Controversial. Thank you. I'm not doing this to be controversial. Look at exactly what it says in chapter 4, verse 4 of James. You adulterous people. You don't know that friendship with the world means enmity towards God. Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend, I'm just friends. We're just friends. You're a liar. Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you not think that the scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he caused to dwell in us? And that's why he says he gives us more grace. But he's opposed to the proud. But he shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. This is the season where we grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. I don't want to be here when that second angel comes to judge us in that whoredom kingdom. And a third angel followed them saying in a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast in its image and receives its mark on their forehead or in their hand, they too will drink the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. They will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the lamb. And the smoke of their torment will rise up for how long? Forever and ever. There will be no rest, nor day or night for those who worship the beast or its image or have any part or or for anyone who receives the mark of his name. This calls for patient endurance on the part of God's people who keep his commands and remain faithful to Jesus. That is once again the promise uh, for us in, in a general sense, but specific for those who are in that time of persecution. Then I heard a voice from heaven say, write this, blessed are those who are dead and, and who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they will rest from their labor, from their deeds, for their deeds will follow them. Remember, I believe that voice that was speaking was the Spirit. Now we hear the Spirit is the one speaking. Isn't that amazing? I have the other references there. I looked, and there before me was a white cloud, and seated on the cloud was one like the Son of Man with a crown of gold on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. Who does Daniel chapter 7 say the Son of Man is? Somebody say Jesus. That's Jesus. Didn't he say he would come with his angels? The Son of Man will come with his angels. Then another angel came out of the temple and called in a loud voice to him who was sitting on the cloud, take your sickle and reap. Because the time to come, for the time to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he who was seated on the clouds swung his sickle over the earth, and the earth was harvested. This jumps ahead to the battle of Armageddon. Another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a a sharp sickle. Still another angel who was in charge of fire came uh, came from the altar and called in a loud voice to him who had the sharp sickle. 
Take your sharp sickle and gather the cluster of grapes from the earth's vine because its grapes are ripe. The, earth sw- uh, the angel swung his sickle on the earth, gathered its grapes, threw them into the great winepress of God's wrath. They were trampled in the winepress outside the city, and the blood flowed out of the press, rising as high as the horse's bridle for a distance of 1,600 stadia, 180 miles. There is the end of the story. We are given the signs and we're given their interpretations as best as we can from the other prophets. And so what basically happens here is we see what it's like at the beginning, even to the time of Jesus, to all the way up into the present. And then we see about the Antichrist and his kingdom that begins to happen here. And then we're fast-forwarded all the way to the end of the battle of the Armageddon to know about God's kingdom coming and the wrath upon the earth. How many want to be with Jesus? How many want to serve Jesus? How many are here to love him? Amen? Let's give it up for Jesus as we stand up today. Praise God. Hallelujah. Worthy is the Lamb. Band and altar workers, would you come, please? Thank you for your patience today. I'm glad that we got through this. Continue to study and read. If you have any questions, talk to your life group leaders or your 101 disciplers. Thank you, for everyone, for coming and joining with us today. We humbly ask you now to serve Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And so since we were running a little bit late, we'll dismiss in just a few moments out of this side door and allow the second service to come in for the 11 o'clock service. And I also believe Channel 5 News is either here or on their way. So if they want to talk to you, uh, you can let them know, yeah, they're here. You want to talk to them because they're coming to uh, report on us again. How many are happy that the, the, the news is getting out? The good news is getting out. Amen. But I want to make sure that if you need prayer to be in Jesus' kingdom, you make sure to come and stay. We're not in a hurry, okay? We just need to dismiss properly, but we're not in a hurry. And if there's anything going on in your lives, please stay. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this wonderful service today. Thank you for your word that was given to us through the book of Revelation. I pray that if anyone here does not know you as their personal Lord and Savior, that they would repent of their sins today, be born again, confess you as the Lord of their lives, that they would prepare themselves for your second coming, the rapture, and to be present with you during these awful times that will be coming upon the earth. And Lord, anyone here that may be struggling in their faith, being discouraged by what they see, either in the Middle East, in their personal lives, or in the government, may they find peace and hope in you today, knowing that you're going to make every wrong right, and that you truly are going to rule this earth with an iron scepter and that the devil will be cast into the lake of fire forever and ever. May we not lose hope during this time. And we ask your blessings to be upon us as we go about our separate ways today until we gather back together in your name. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Can you bless the Lord one more time? God bless you.